Father, such a privilege to be in your presence this morning. Thank you for promising that when two or three of us are gathered, that you're right here in the midst of us. Lord, we love you, but we're longing to love you more fully, more deeply, more completely. We're longing for you to speak to us. We're longing for you to reveal your glory through the beautiful picture of the cross. Father, would you do something special in our hearts this morning? We may have come in here with different burdens, different thoughts, different things on our mind. Would you just take those away by your Holy Spirit and just open our ears to hear your voice this morning? Thank you, Father. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. I met him when I started going to Fresno Avenue Academy. He was a fun guy, a guy who uh, we played together on the football team. He was somebody who loved music. He was somebody who, from the very beginning, I realized that he had a very special testimony of what God had done in his life. He grew up in a very rough home situation. Uh, His parents were split up and his dad really didn't care for him or care what he was doing. He got involved in a bad scene and got into drugs at a very young age. He was in just in middle school when he began doing some heavy drugs. And he tells the story, he would actually tell it quite often for chapel about the day when, or actually it was an evening when they had a party at his house. And at this party, he was, uh, in, he was under the influence and he was there partying when he was just ready to end his life and he actually took a gun and he put it up to his head, or I think he'd spun, spun it and he put it up to his head and pulled the trigger, nothing happened. He pulled the trigger again, nothing happened. He'd hit rock bottom and he was ready for his life to end. Another time he was at a party and he'd fallen to the bottom of a swimming pool totally out of it, not able to save himself, but somebody dove in the pool and grabbed him and pulled him out. These were the kind of stories that he would share with us in our high school class, and we were amazed at how God had transformed his life. Here he was, somebody who would share in front of a bunch of high school peers about what God was doing in his life, and we were amazed at what God had done in Sean's life. The summer of 2001, Sean and I both got the opportunity to go to Santa Cruz, California, and be a part of something called Zoe Wave, where for the whole summer, a group of young people were going out throughout Santa Cruz doing creative uh, outreaches throughout the town. Everything from we'd go to the skate park and we'd talk to those that were at the skate park. We'd go surfing and talk to those who were surfing. Any idea why I might have wanted to go that summer? We would, I remember one day I hitchhiked in order to talk to people going across Santa Cruz. But by the end of that summer, Sean and I had had such a powerful experience. We were actually roommates together, and I remember every morning he put on his Christian music really loud early in the morning to wake us up, and we just had a fun summer together. And we both were on fire for Jesus by the end of that summer. We had had this opportunity of sharing our faith, of telling people about Jesus, baking cookies for firefighters and going and telling them, this is because Jesus loves you, washing people's cars totally for free and saying, we think Jesus, he washed feet uh, 2,000 years ago, but today he might just wash your car. We did all these different things during the summer and it was such a blessing to be a part of it. Well, at the end of that summer, I remember really clearly as school was about to start and we were going back about emotions of getting ready for school, Sean called me up and he said, hey, so this school year, it's our, our junior year, I'm going to be religious vice president. 
And I can't do this by myself. We've had such a good experience over the past summer. I want to bring some of those same things to Fresno Academy. And I want to see God do big things among his I want to have so many outreaches and so many different things like we've experienced this past summer. I said, but I can't do this on my own. I need your help. Will you be like my right-hand man throughout this year that together we can plan these outreaches, we can do these different things for Jesus? That was an invitation from Jesus. An invitation to follow Jesus. Sean might have been the one who was telling me this, but I see it as Jesus himself giving me an invitation saying, Zach, Will you follow? In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus gives clear instructions to those who want to follow Jesus. This is a parallel passage to the scripture reading that was just read from Mark chapter 8. But in Matthew chapter 16, go to verse 21 with me, and we're going to look at a little bit of the context here. Because for you and I, there's nothing more important than for us to fully grasp what it means to follow Jesus. How do we follow Jesus? We're living in times when the world around us is falling apart at the seams. We recognize the emptiness of everything else but Jesus. And so I don't know about you, but I want to follow Jesus with my whole life. What does that look like? The best place to learn that is from Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21 Jesus, uh, recording earlier on before that, Jesus had inquired of the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they had said, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. And then Peter said, but we say that you are the Christ, the Son of God. So Jesus, having seen this, verse 21 reveals what he does next. Now that they finally realize who he is, the Son of God in human flesh, that he is the Messiah, the one that they've been waiting for. And now that the disciples realize that, he can finally give them a picture into the beauty of the mission that he's come to do. Verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. Now, if you've been reading along in the Gospels by this point, you know that Jerusalem is a place where the Pharisees kept persecuting him, where all kinds of problems came up for Jesus. But here he's beginning to tell his disciples, I have got to go to Jerusalem. And then he goes on to reveal this to them. And to suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. What is Jesus revealing to the disciples here? Jesus is revealing the plan that has been in effect since sin came into this planet. In fact, even before that, he and the Father had agreed that this is what would take place to save the human race. Jesus is beginning to give them this beautiful picture of what he was going to do for their salvation. He said, they understand that I'm the Messiah. They understand that I'm the Son of God. And now I'm going to reveal to them what I'm going to do so that they can have everlasting life. He's beginning to give them this picture of what it's going to look like, what it's going to feel like, what they're going to go through. And he's trying to give them hope. You notice he even says, after the third day, I'll rise again. But you know something? Satan hates the cross. He always has and he always will. Satan hates the cross. Just look at what takes place in the following verses. Verse 22. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, 
far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Peter, who has just acknowledged that this is the Son of God, this is the Messiah, he takes Jesus aside and he says, he rebukes him. He says, Jesus, this will not happen to you. This can't happen. You're the Messiah. You're too holy. You're too pure. You're too powerful. You're, you're the Messiah. You can't go through this. He begins to rebuke Jesus himself. He says, Jesus is, is mistaken here. This can't happen to the Son of God. It's easy for us to look back and say, well, Peter, why would you do that? What are you thinking to rebuke the, the Son of God? But really, to think that the King of Kings, the one who had all power, the one who had omnipresence, the one who had all authority in the entire universe, would come and would live not only just a human life, but would go all the way to the cross and suffer all that he suffered for you and I? That's a pretty challenging thought to somebody who's just been following the Messiah and excited that he's going to liberate you from the Romans. Now to hear this would have been an extremely challenging thing for Peter. Look at Jesus' response. This is one of the strongest rebukes that Jesus gives in Scripture. Verse 23, But he turned and said to Peter. Now he turns and he, he says this to Peter, but it's clear as you read what Jesus says that he wasn't talking to Peter, really. He says this, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. A scandal on a stumbling block is the word in Greek there. You're, you're trying to get me to stumble. You're trying to get me off the mark of what Jesus, of what the Father has for me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Jesus was headed to the cross. Jesus was headed to the cross for you. In fact, Desire of Ages says this about Jesus. Desire of Ages, page 17, it says, Jesus did not count heaven a place to be desired while we were lost. Let that sink in. Jesus didn't want to stay in heaven on the throne, worshipped by angels. Jesus didn't want to stay there while you and I were lost. Jesus didn't care about being in heaven because he said, my people are down there. I want to save them. And he would have come just for you. Just for one of you who had rebelled against him. He left the heavenly courts for a life of reproach and insult and a death of shame. He who was rich in heaven's priceless treasure became poor that through his poverty we might be rich. This was Jesus' goal in going to the cross. This was Jesus' purpose for the salvation of Peter himself. But Peter was deceived by the enemy. And Jesus knew that. That's why he doesn't talk just to Peter. But he says, Satan, get behind me. Because it was the devil talking through Peter. It was the devil that had planted this thought in his mind that you don't really have to go through the cross in order for salvation to take place. The cross really isn't necessary. You don't need that, Jesus. Please don't say that. That's what some of his original temptations were, right? He said, if you just worship me, then all of this kingdom will be yours. 
back in the wilderness, the devil had been trying to keep Jesus from going to the cross all along. So Jesus, when Peter tries to tell him not to go to the cross, he has the strongest rebuke for him, maybe in all of Scripture. But I have this feeling that in my life, and maybe in your life, we have often bought into the same lie of Satan. That the cross is not really necessary. That I don't really need the cross in my life. Because look at how Jesus goes on to describe how we are to follow Jesus. So he's, he says, you're not mindful of the things of God. You're, you're mindful of the things of men. Stop thinking about what matters on this earth and start thinking about what matters in God's eyes. And then he goes on to say this in verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone, how many is that? Does that include you? Does that include me? If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus says, you want to follow me? Then take up your cross and follow me. Jesus says, if you desire to walk in my footsteps, if you want to be a Christian, then what you need to do is to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. But so often, we're so distracted in life. There's so many different things that are pulling for our attention in life. That's the way it was for me in high school. I remember when Sean told me that on the phone, my mind immediately began to run through what I had planned for my junior year in high school. Being on the football team, being on the basketball team, I had plans to to play basketball every lunch period for the entire year so that I could get good at basketball. And Sean was talking about how at lunchtime we could have these Bible studies. And I thought, I'd have to miss basketball in the gym? I don't know. And what would the guys say? I'd say, well, I'm going to Bible study today, guys, not coming to the gym. These thoughts began to run through my mind. And as I began to think about, well, it's been fun when I'm around a spiritual group of people. When I'm back at school around my other friends and I begin to tell them, yeah, let's go on outreach. Let's go do this. They're going to say, what happened to Zach? They're going to associate me with this crazy religious fanatic. So I told Sean, in that moment when I believe it was Jesus giving me an invitation, I said, Sean, you know, I've had an amazing summer. I'm gonna, I fully believe that I want to live my life for Jesus. But you know, this coming year, it's gonna, I, I just have a feeling it's going to be a little different than what we were doing during the summer. I mean, then we were paid to do that all the time, but now we've got to go back to school and there's a lot of stuff going on. I'm, Sean... I just think this year is going to be different. I can't tell you how much I regret telling Sean that. Probably one of the worst decisions in my entire life. Not because of what happened to me during that coming year. And that year was terrible for me. I was pursuing the things of man. I wasn't mindful of the things of God. I was pursuing what I wanted to do, how I wanted to have a fun time. That was the year when I took up drinking. That was the year when I took up partying. That was the year when I did a whole lot of things that hurt me for years to come. But the worst part about that year was that halfway through the year, 
Sean got discouraged because nobody was coming to his Bible study. Nobody was supporting his outreaches. Nobody was there. And he relapsed back into his life of drinking and drugs. And I can't help but think, what if Zach in that moment had had the courage to stand up for Jesus? What if I was willing to take up my cross on that day? What if I was willing to allow my pride to be crucified? What would have happened with Sean? It's 15 years later. Today, Sean works at a bar and a nightclub in Fresno. Hasn't gone to school uh, past high school. He's always posting about, yeah, come check out what's happening and all the girls that are going to be at the bar and all that's going to happen at the nightclub. Always posting about his stuff that he's doing with marijuana and other drugs. And I can't help but think, how could at least one life have been different? if I was willing to stand up for Jesus. You know, when Jesus talks about taking up the cross, do you realize what the cross entailed for Jesus? Philippians 2 that tells us, let us have this same mind be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he was in the form of God, did not equate, uh, did not see it as robbery to be equal with God. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being found in the form of men. He humbled himself to a life of obedience and he went to the cross for you and me. The cross was about salvation. But the cross cost Jesus everything. As Jesus hung there on the cross, his brow bleeding from thorns being pressed down, his back having been lashed 40 times twice over, his hands being nailed, his feet being nailed. In all of that agony, as Jesus bore your sin and my sin on himself, so much guilt was pressing down on him that he didn't even feel the physical pain so much as the agony of what was going on in his heart of being separated from the Father. All of that, Hebrews 12 tells us that that He endured the shame of the cross for the joy that was set before Him. Because He saw you and me. Maybe He looked down to September 24, 2016. He saw in Templeton Hills Church, He saw you sitting here and He said, I want to live with them forever. I want them to have this opportunity on this day to take up their cross to follow me. I want for them to be able to choose salvation. I want for them to have eternal life because I want to be with them forever. While Jesus was in heaven, He didn't consider heaven a place to be grasped while you and I were lost. Can you imagine what it was like on that last day for Jesus before stepping down to this earth, before going and becoming a baby? What were the thoughts going through His mind? I believe it was thoughts of you. It was thoughts of you and me and how He wanted to save us. That's what the cross is all about. That's why Jesus took that cross on His shoulder and began to head towards the hill of Golgotha. So weak that He couldn't even carry it Himself. It had to be carried by Simon behind Him. He went all the way for you and I. So when Jesus says to take up our cross, and follow Him. It's not just talking about 
self-denial. It's not just talking about self-sacrifice, but it's talking about living our lives with the complete goal of the salvation of those around us. That's why Jesus went to the cross. It was for salvation. It wasn't for His own good. It was for you and for me. And when I pick up the cross, it's so that I can see Jesus work for the salvation of those around me. Jesus continues, he says, verse 25 of Matthew 16, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever is looking out for his own interests, like I was my junior year in high school, trying to live my life in the way that I wanted to, in the end, I hit rock bottom. It was the worst year of my life. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Can't tell you, since following Jesus and saying, okay, Jesus, I'm all in. My life doesn't matter anymore. I only want to live for you. How much joy there is in that. How much peace there is in that. How much I don't have to worry about the things that happen in life because I'm simply living my life for Jesus. Verse 26, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man gain in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back in the clouds, he's going to be looking for those who know Jesus as their personal Savior and who, because they know Jesus and they love Jesus, are carrying their cross. They're willing to do whatever it takes for the salvation of the people around them. They're not being mindful of the things of man, but of the things of God. Every day when they're walking through life, they're thinking about God and the things that are on God's heart. This is what Paul referred to back in that passage that Pastor Renner shared with us just a couple weeks ago in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. A beautiful passage. Nathan shared, uh, Pastor Renner shared some just powerful insights from there. I hope you were blessed by that. And if you weren't here, it's the message from two weeks ago. You can get it on the podcast. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 12. He didn't comment as much on this. It says, sorry, we'll go down to verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us. It's only the love that we have for Jesus that can really compel us to take up our cross and to follow Jesus. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Friends, I'm beginning to realize what the cross means to me is that I no longer should be living my life about my own interests, about my own priorities in life. And I realize that a lot of times I miss opportunities to share Jesus with people because I'm so focused on my life. Have you noticed that before? At the grocery store, you're rushing through because time is limited and you see that lady who's needing help with her cart Say, well, if I had more time, I'd help them out. Or if, when you're driving past that homeless person, maybe you even put the cash out the window for them, but it takes a lot more sacrifice to enter into their lives and to figure out what's going on to be able to really reach them where they're at. Maybe it's that neighbor who you often rush past them and 
no time for a conversation because life is just too busy. Maybe it's that young person in your community that you know if you could just take them out to lunch once a week and and pray with them and be there for them, that you know it can make a difference in their life, but that takes a lot of effort. That takes a lot of sacrifice. I'm realizing that in order for me to reach the world around me, I have to be willing to let go of my life, to let go of my ambitions for my job, for anything else, for my pride, what people are going to respond when I go to them, and I have to be willing to take up my cross for Jesus, for the salvation of those people that He came and died for. Dr. P.P. Job tells the story. He was an evangelist in India. He's known as basically the, the Billy Graham of India. He would preach to sometimes 500,000 people at a time. He had lots of experiences in India, but he recounts the story that took place a bit before him in India during the Welsh revival of the 1850s. In this revival, the the people in, in Wales were so revived that they began to send out missionaries. That's usually the result when revival takes place. People begin to reach out to the world, the greater world around them. And he said that some of these missionaries went to a part of India, the Assam region of India. They were there in India, and it was a really hard territory. The people in that region, many different tribes, some of them were headhunters, where basically the young men, in order to get married, it was uh, seen as the highest esteem if you had the most heads hanging on your wall. So they would, as they got into their teen years, they would begin killing people from other villages in order that they could have the most heads hung on their house so that they could get married. These were the kind of inroads that Satan had worked in these tribes. It was a very difficult place to work. But one missionary in particular was able to get into one of these tribes of headhunters and was able to at least reach one family. And that family accepted Jesus. They accepted the gift of Jesus' grace, what He's done for them on the cross. And after they had accepted it, they couldn't hold it back but to share it with the rest of their village. And as they began to share and, and the villagers began to see the peace and the joy that this family had in their lives, they began to say, we want to follow Jesus too. Well, it began to spread quickly in the village. And before long, the village chief found out that his village was beginning to convert to Christianity. Maybe recognizing what this would do to other tribes would no longer respect them because they weren't headhunting anymore. They weren't fighting like they were before. He called the entire village together and he said, where did this start from? And everybody pointed to this family. He called the family to the front and he had his guards beside him and he said, I'm going to give you one chance to renounce God, to renounce this Jesus, following Jesus, or you die. That moment, the man of the family broke out in song. He said, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The chief motioned with his arm and immediately the two warriors beside him sent arrows into his two sons' chests. They fell beside him. 
He says, I'm going to give you one more chance to denounce Jesus. Or your wife is going to find the same end that your boys just did. And again, he broke into song. Can't imagine what that moment was like. But he began to sing, Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. He motioned. The arrow went. His wife fell. And the chief said, all that's left is for you to save your own life. At this point, I'm going to give you the opportunity, one more chance, denounce Jesus or die. That moment he said, the man began to sing, the cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. The arrow flew. And that man died for Christ on that day. He paid the price of his life. But what a day that will be in the resurrection morning. When he comes up to the face of Jesus who he refused to deny. What a day that will be, not just because he and his family will have died for Jesus and they'll, they'll be among those with the, the red around their robes, at the bottom of their robes because they follow Jesus all the way to death. Not only that, but when he gets to heaven, can you imagine the moment when he looks over and he's going to see that chief and some of those villagers because not long after that, the chief, he wasn't able to sleep. He just kept having the thoughts go through his mind of how was this man able to sing and to have such peace in the face of such a terrible death? And he called the village together and he said, I too am going to follow Jesus. And that whole village, too, began to follow Jesus. Friends, to follow Jesus might cost you everything. In fact, Jesus says, we have to take up our cross. We have to deny ourselves. We have to follow Jesus in such a way that we're losing our life, but gaining a life that lasts forever. I just want to appeal to you. Because I'm recognizing in my own life that all too often I walk past the people around me who are in need because I'm too focused on my own life. So today, I just want to appeal to you. Do whatever it takes. Go to Jesus and say, okay, it's no longer my life. It's no longer my job. It's no longer my house. It's no longer my car. It's no longer my priorities. I'm living for you. And the cross may require you to sacrifice some of those things. It may require you to pull back in different areas in order to be able to take up your cross. Because taking up your cross is for the purpose of the salvation of those around you. We have an opportunity, several opportunities coming up where you and I can do this. And I'm thinking in my own mind about the people next door who I haven't been willing to talk with them about the prophecy seminar yet. And I'm thinking, you know what? I've been putting it off because of busyness, other things going on, and maybe it's time that I let them know about this seminar. Thinking about other people in my sphere of influence who maybe if I took them to lunch, I could have that opportunity to talk with them and give them an invitation 
to come to the seminar. And also, for you and I, it's going to take a, a, a bit of a sacrifice to be there over 12 nights. But I can't tell you what a blessing it's going to be. You heard Pastor Renner sharing just a few weeks ago and it's going to be such a fresh perspective. I've heard a preview of some of the messages that he's going to be sharing. And I want to invite you to come out to every meeting of this Prophecy Seminar for two reasons. Number one, what it's going to do for your own heart. Because it's going to be a picture of Revelation, I guarantee you, like you haven't experienced before. You may have sat through a lot of Prophecy Seminars. You may have read a lot of books on Revelation. But I guarantee you that this is going to be an eye-opening experience for 12 nights. But not only that, when you're here in this place and when those guests who we've invited come walking through the door, it makes such a difference for you to be here. Even if you don't have a responsibility, although we could use all of your help during the Prophecy Seminar, come talk to Leah, myself, or the Bible workers about it. But if you're just here and you're smiling and you're befriending people who come into this place, they're going to recognize Jesus through you. And you will have an opportunity to be a part of them coming to recognize Jesus. There's nothing better than that. I don't know what Jesus is calling you to in taking up your cross, but I know that He's calling me and He's calling you to take up our cross today. To follow Him. To live our lives only for the One who died for us. No longer about our ambitions, no longer about our jobs, no longer about our priorities in life, but only for the King who died to save us. This time, I want to give you the opportunity to sing that song, that song that led that villager to stand up for Jesus in the face of impending death. How about you? Have you decided to follow Jesus? to take up your cross and to follow Him, to deny yourself to follow Jesus with your whole life. There's no better decision, no greater joy than to live for Jesus and the salvation of the people around you. This morning we have the special privilege of celebrating communion together. That special service that Jesus said, do this in remembrance of Me. Do this in remembrance of all that I've done for you. All that the cross really means to us become so pertinent and so real in the service of communion. In just a moment, I'll give you the opportunity and we can go out and we can wash each other's feet just like Jesus washed His disciples' feet. And that gives us that opportunity to lay down our own pride and just to humble ourselves with each other to show the love of Christ in a practical way. And after that, we'll come back in here and we'll sit every other row and we'll have the opportunity to, to take of the emblems that represent what Christ has done for us. But before we go out and do that, I want to invite you to join me in kneeling in prayer if you're able. Father, we don't want to pass by this moment without fully deciding to follow You. Without being willing to let the love of Christ compel us and take up our cross and live for the salvation of others. Father, I believe that You've spoken to each of our hearts personally. And right now, we just want to respond in the silence of our own hearts. Tell Jesus that You want to follow Him. 
We may be weak. We may break our promises, but plead with him to give you the strength to follow him. Father, thank you for speaking to our hearts and thank you for calling us to follow you. Thank you that you didn't want to be in heaven while we were lost, but you wanted to be with us forever. Oh Lord, give us that same love for the people around us, that we wouldn't count our house a place to be while there are people lost around us, that we wouldn't consider life enjoyable while there's one lost person left. Father, that we would live our lives for the salvation of others. And Lord, maybe you've laid on some of our hearts specific commitments you want us to make. Maybe it's to share about some opportunity for Bible studies or to come to the Prophecy Seminar or something else. Maybe it's to come to the Prophecy Seminar ourselves. In this moment, I just give you that opportunity to confirm that commitment with Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you can lead us in such ways that we can impact the world around us and that throughout eternity we can be filled with the joy of having led others to you. Father, please bless my friends as they go through washing each other's feet, as they go through participating in the communion. I just pray that it would be a rich blessing to us that we would see Jesus lifted up in a powerful way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.